You're listening to the Man Overseas Podcast, a show that explores methods and ideas to help you live a bigger life. You will hear interesting stories of how people live, how they save and invest their money, and why having time wealth is better than being a billionaire. If you are entertained, educated, or elevated, be sure to hit the subscribe button. We're just getting started. Now here is your host, Brad D'Antonio. Hi folks, welcome. So glad you could join me today. Today I thought I would release a solo podcast episode. It's been a while since I've done one, and I want to share things with you that I find intellectually interesting. I'll share what I've been up to, what I've been reading, why the D'Antonio family goes to church as a family on Sundays. Also financial matters, where I've been investing my money in these precarious times we're living through, what's on Twitter, why I've spent more time on Instagram lately, and those sorts of things. I'll start with a story of something that happened to me over the weekend. I'm sure many of you can relate to this story. It's a situation where in the moment you can't believe it's happening, and you know in hindsight it'll be like, holy shit, I I can't believe that happened a few days ago. But especially years from now, you'll be like, whoa, did that really happen? I find that's happening more and more. And as much as I try to steer clear of politics, we see it happening in our country, relating to politics almost every day. It could be macro things such as mail-in voting that we had never done before, October bombshell stories that you're not allowed to read or discuss, tweets saying apropos of nothing, (laughs) where it's like, no way this is happening. So anyway, this is a true story of something that happened to me in the Costco parking lot. Anyone remember the song by Little Dicky that went, it's getting real in the Whole Foods parking lot? <laughs> well, this happened in the Costco parking lot. I was waiting on a parking spot to my right. I left plenty of room for the person who was going to be backing out to back out and be on their way. And I waited maybe 30 seconds in total for this car to leave. And in front of me, while I was waiting, was a black SUV. They were waiting on a car to leave that was three or four parking spots down on the right. So that sets the scene for you. I'm waiting on a spot on my right. There's a car about 20 feet in front of me waiting on a car to its right. Three or four cars down from the one I'm waiting on. So I pull into the spot that I had been waiting on. And the driver in the driver's side rear view or side rear view mirror... I see this woman in workout clothes walk very quickly up to my vehicle and she bangs on my car four times. So I roll down the window and she starts cursing at me, saying things like, I know you saw me waiting on this spot with my blinker on. And I I was like, what? (laughs) You were waiting on the spot three or four cars down. And she started cursing, dropping F-bombs and said, "Well, well, you can move your car. I've been waiting here a long time. And I said, I'm not moving my car. She said, you are a fucking dick. (laughs) So I get out of the car just so we can talk face to face. And I thought it might calm her down to see that she was talking to another human. This was bizarro world shit. Because if I thought for a second, if it made any bit of sense that she was waiting on this parking spot, I would have moved. So when I get out, I look at her SUV and I say, what were you going to do back into this spot? 
She said no. Of course, she couldn't back in because then she wouldn't be able to put her, her stuff from Costco into the back of her car. So she says, no, when the car left, I was going to back up and pull into this spot. So I would have had to move my car way back to the point that I would have been in the road. It made no sense. So it's, to me, it had never been more obvious that she, one, regretted that she had passed up this parking spot. In other words, she guessed wrong as to who would be leaving their res- respective parking spot first. And that feeling was so overwhelming to her that she felt compelled to exit her vehicle, which is so incredibly stupid. She had no idea what the man in the other car is capable of. So she not only exits her car, but bangs on my car four times. If I was a nutcase who couldn't control my emotions, there's no telling what I would have done to this woman for being so stupid. So that was obvious. Secondly, it was obvious that this woman had never been checked in her life because she 100% thought that she was going to get her way. And I thought I thought about men that I know who lack a backbone or who would have been intimidated by a relatively attractive woman who, by the way, she spoke with a British or Australian accent. I don't know what it was. Or just men who are non-adversarial, who would have said, oh, okay, you're right. I'll move. No problem. (laughs) I thought about the fact that this woman either doesn't have a man and, of course, doesn't know why, or has some weak feminine D-bag at home who's living a quiet life of desperation, who, when he hears this story, rather than say to her, you you left the car to confront the man in, in his car? Are you fucking stupid? Instead, he'll say something like, oh, oh, baby, I, I can't believe that asshole. Come here. <laughs> no, dude, these women have never been checked in their lives. It's when you encounter a situation where you're 100% that you're in the right and know that they're 100% wrong, and you basically have to chalk it up to living in a clown world, it's so weird, isn't it? You see things so clearly. Like there's there's no way that you were waiting on this parking spot. If you were, I would have given it to you. I'm a decent guy, but you weren't. And so you've got to be checked. You've got to say, you're full of shit. You are full of shit. And that's what I told her as she was getting in her car. And by the way, I passed her several times with my basket in Costco a few minutes later. And I could tell by the way that she looked at me that there was some admiration there, which told me, oh, she's married to some D-bag. Because she likes to get, I don't know if she likes getting checked, but she needs that in her life, unfortunately. I think we have a crisis in our country of men not standing up for themselves, what they believe in. It's a bit of a femme-centric world. Feminism's gone too far. It's obviously emboldened women to do stupid shit like get out of their cars and bang on another man's car when they're 100% irrational and illogical. You don't pass up a parking spot, wait on another one, and think that you're going to get the one behind you. It doesn't work that way. Mix in a clue. All right. Where Let's talk about things that are more uplifting and encouraging. If you're listening to this podcast, you are more than likely a wellspring of potential. And young men like you listening, you're going to damn well fulfill your potential. And man, I love to be a witness 
to your ascendance. So many of you have reached out to me with DMs and emails and talking about how you like the mix of stoicism and investing and things that I find intellectually interesting, you also find intellectually interesting. So you'll play past solo episodes that I've done, and you've told me that it motivates and inspires you. So I'm going to keep doing these every once in a while, and let me hear from you. I love it. Every time I check in with the young guys I coach, I feel like I'm talking to someone going up on the roller coaster, inching up ever so closer to all of their realized potential and their dreams and fulfilling those dreams, man, keep going. You guys inspire me. I get so much energy from interacting with you guys regularly. I can't tell you what it does for me. And that's how it goes, man. When you pour yourself out, you're going to get more in return. It's just the way of the world. It will be reciprocated. So have that faith when you're serving others, it's going to come back to you in droves. And that's not why you do it. I'm just telling you it works. I can't explain it. It's just the universe conspiring with you to make sure that you're taken care of too. As it pertains to money, which I'll talk about here shortly, if you're a good steward of your money, I believe God sees to it that you get more of it. So help others, serve other people. You'll be amazed at how it comes back and fulfills you. It's amazing. It's hard to put into words. Let's talk about the 30-year mortgage. Right now, a 30-year mortgage is over 7%. 7.25% on a 30-year mortgage on the median-priced home right now of $300,000 the payment would be $2,000. That's principal and interest. Doesn't include taxes and insurance. Just over two years ago, when interest rates were sub 3%, let's call it 2.75%, your payment would have been $1,225. So $2,000 nowadays versus $1,225 a little over two years ago. That's a 74% increase in your monthly payment incredible. Now, the upside is you're getting a return on fixed income, which we haven't experienced, experienced in a long time. So 74, 75% more on your payment, challenging times. But historically speaking, we're actually back to normal, quote unquote normal with interest rates. The first house I purchased in 2003, my interest rate was seven and an eighth. So 7.125%. According to the California Association of Realtors, only 16% of people can afford the median-priced home in California, which is now over $800,000. Did you know one in 40 IRAs has a million dollars in it? And the number of 401k balances that have a million dollars in it increased 25% over the past year? Fidelity reaches, uh, releases this sort of data regularly. The typical 401k millionaire, according to Fidelity, saves 17.2% of their income. The average age of someone who has a million dollars in their 401k is 59 years old. If you were to save $600 a month over the course of 25 years, by the way, $600 is less than the average car payment, if you made 7% on your money, 
which historically speaking is well below the stock market average, you would have $1 million. Now, I know a million isn't what it used to be. Of course, it's not. And this could be, this could have always been said, right? Money in our country is inflationary. Inherently, due to inflation, no amount of money is going to be what it used to be. A dollar isn't going to go as far, so to speak, neither will a million. No amount of money will go as far. But being a millionaire, that is an aspirational goal. It not only has a nice ring to it, but it's a solid figure to shoot for. You know, I was in real estate full time leading up to the recession of 08, 09. It actually started December 07. Back when people got mortgages who had no business buying a home. I can remember telling people who were buying a house where their mortgages payment would have, would be more than 40% of their income. Man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy this house if I were you. But you were not going to hold them back. They were convinced that real estate always goes up in value and that buying a home was 100% of the time preferable to renting, except when it's not, right? They thought that if they bought a house and their house on the off chance that they needed to sell it was going to appreciate enough to cover the closing costs and fees associated with, with doing a real estate transaction. It had always been so. Things changed. Do you feel rich? Those making over $175,000 a year were considered rich, according to those conducting this survey. That was Bloomberg. So this survey was just released. The results, guess what percentage of those making over $175,000 a year, guess what percentage felt rich? One in four. That's right. 25% of those making over $175,000 a year felt rich. When asked why they didn't feel rich, it was because of lifestyle creep, which the biggest contributor to lifestyle creep, they said, was social media. So comparing yourself to others, the ultimate thief of joy, right? Of course, this depends on where you live. It costs 15k more to live in Denver than where I live in Houston, Texas. It costs 7,000 more to live in Dallas, which is right up I-45 from here. It takes four hours to drive from Houston to Dallas. And if you were to do that with a U-Haul truck, you can prepare to spend $7,000 more a year, which of course is over $500 more a month. Now that's on average. Texans have an average of $8,000 in car loan debt, while the national average is almost $6,000. So we have about 33% more car debt than the national average here in Texas. Outstanding student loan debt is the lowest it's been in the last 10 years. I know why this is. (laughs) I have clients, two of them, whose student loan debt was wiped out in the last year. One of them had $70,000 left to pay, and it was wiped out. So they had been paying for roughly 10 years, and I think that was one of the criterion to have your loan debt wiped out by the Biden administration. I know they're fighting that now up in Washington, whether or not it's legal to do so or constitutional to do so. But those who've had their wipe, their loans wiped out are not going to be told, hey, we made a mistake. <laughs> Send us 70 grand. 
So I think it's gone for good. It's interesting when you're a realtor and have access to everyone's finances or you work in a personal coaching consulting capacity. You get to see how everyone spends their money. And I can tell you what what I encourage people to do who have trouble saving money. One is you've got to track your spending because you want to get in a regular, consistent cadence of spending a certain amount of money every month within a few hundred dollars. Of course, you're going to have medical expenses or a vacation that forces your expenditures up for a particular month. And the way I coach those to handle it who are, who experience that, which is most of us, right? Medical expenses, tr- flights, just unexpected little pops in our expenses in a particular month. Well, I would spread it out. If you have a flight where you're spending $1,500 or $2,000, you can spread those tickets, the cost of those tickets out to where you're spending it over three months for, for budgetary purposes. You can you can do six sixty six a month, six sixty seven a month if you don't want to associate with the devil. Six sixty seven a month over three months is a little easier to digest when you're budgeting. When you're living paycheck to paycheck, I know that's tough, but you want to ideally get to a point where you're not living paycheck to paycheck, and you can do so. I'm convinced by beginning to track your expenses, just as a function of tracking each expenditure, you will find that you spend less money every month. And once you do, let's say you're not saving right now, the best way to start saving is to start saving 10% every month, set it up to where it's done automatically, and then just increase your savings by 1% per year thereafter. And you'll, you won't notice it. I, I promise you, you're not going to notice it over time. Most People who get wealthy in their 401ks, in their IRAs, they get wealthy by just saving automatically, just setting it and forgetting it. Self-storage business is really taking off. I have a storage unit. I'm not proud of it, but when we had our child and we wanted to travel, we wanted to turn our primary residence into an Airbnb, we got a storage unit. It costs roughly $72 a month which doesn't sound like a lot, but I can tell you we had to move recently because the one we had been in the last few years slowly, gradually increased the rate on us every, what felt like every three months. I'm sure it wasn't that frequent. But there's no line item in the contract, no disclaimer saying that they won't raise rates on you every three, six months. They're going to do it because they know that if they were to raise it $15, You're not going to go through the pain of switching storage units. Well, we finally did when the monthly rate on our last storage unit got to like $144, something like that. We moved to the one down the street. But even if a new storage unit is built less than a mile, most people are not going to take their stuff out of their old storage unit and bring it to the new one. They're just not going to do it. And so storage unit companies take advantage of that. It's one of those businesses that just takes advantage of human nature. I've had a, I had a buddy once who bought a storage unit, and I asked if he was going to raise rates. And he said, no, I'm not going to raise rates despite them being way under market. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, 
if I raise rates, it's going to call attention to the fact that these people have a storage unit because more than half of them have had this storage unit and forgotten about it. And their bank account is automatically debited once a month at $85 or $92 or $98. It's going to go up a little bit over time. And they just let it happen. They don't put forth the effort to go get their shit out of there, most of which they don't need. I'm sure you've heard this before, but if you're going through your closet and you see a shirt and you know that you would not buy that shirt today, you should throw it away or donate it to a charity. Easier said than done. I've got some shirts in my closet that I haven't worn in over a year, which is another test. Have you worn this item of clothing in the past year? If not, throw it out. So self-storage business has increased 16% over the last year. They know that if a person rents for one year, they're likely to stay in it five years. If a new storage unit is built less than a mile away, people would much more likely pay another $15 a month than move their stuff to save $180 a year. Have you heard of OnlyFans? Are you a member? (laughs) They have 238 million users. They generated a profit of $525 million in 2022. The number of creators increased 47%. Men are using OnlyFans in lieu of an actual partner. I think the big loser there is God, (laughs) reproduction. It's really sad. I saw where the owner of OnlyFans paid themselves a dividend last year, 2022. Paid themselves a dividend of $338 million. How about that? We're starting a webcam business, which is how Andrew Tate got popular. I don't know if you're aware, but... He's getting to be mainstream. I saw where Tucker Carlson interviewed him on X recently. X is formerly known as Twitter. What's crazy about X is you can actually see the number of times something has been viewed right there on the app, pretty much embedded in the post. So, for example, when Donald Trump posted his mugshot, I think that's been viewed 240 million times or or something crazy. Same with Tucker's interview with Donald Trump, which happened to occur at the same time as the Republican primary, the the debate. And you can go to the app and see how many times the Trump-Tucker interview was viewed. And it is something outrageous. I see 17.7 million. I see 83. Oh, 261 million times. (laughs) That is episode 19 of the Tucker Carlson Show. These guys and gals who are going independent are killing the networks. Megyn Kelly would be a good example of that, too. Her podcast is really good. But so is everything that Tucker puts out. I don't know if you watched the interview with Ice Cube. That was one of the most enjoyable things to watch. Speaking of real estate, Ice Cube drove by his house in South Central L.A. 
and told Tucker Carlson that his parents purchased it for $47,000 back in the 60s, and it's now worth $650,000. $650. Whoa. Which speaks to how many millionaires there are in America. When you think about it, if you have a home that's worth $650,000, if you just put away a few thousand dollars starting in the 60s, you'd only need 35% of a million that you saved and invested, right? If your home equity is six fifty, to be a millionaire. So I found that interesting. We haven't seen near the appreciation where I live. In fact, in the 2000s, I would tell people based on data from research typically done by the Houston Association of Realtors, that in the greater Houston area, appreciation rates were roughly 3 to 4% per year, which at that time was keeping pace with inflation. Meanwhile, this is prior to the recession, they were having appreciation increases in places like Scottsdale, Arizona, or Las Vegas, All of California, pretty much, that were like 42% in 04, 48% in 05, 72% in 06. The increases in appreciation were crazy. I remember taking real estate classes one time, and there was this guy who was maybe two or three years older than me who had come here from California. He had sold his house that he bought two or three years prior in California and was buying two homes in Houston, (laughs) two $300,000 homes, just for the hell of it. He was going to rent the other one out. I could tell you, with short-term rentals nowadays, the amount that you can rent your place for is astounding to me. So just where I bought my first townhome at a seven and an eighth interest rate, I bought that place for $80,000. It's never rented for more than $1,600 a month. But my wife and I were doing some remodeling to that place about a year ago and stayed in a unit comparable to the one that we were remodeling, a two-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath townhome in West Houston that's roughly 1,300 square feet. We rented an Airbnb right down the street for... $3,000 a month. And I've since gone for a walk and passed that same unit and saw two guys that were driving a U-Haul truck. It was an actual truck, like a little Ford F-150 or something. And it had U-Haul written on the side of it. And it said $20 a day plus mileage. And so I struck up a conversation with, with those two fellas and they were staying in the unit. They were 22 years old. They were engineers working on for a robotics company. They showed me pictures of what they were doing. It was pretty cool. But anyway, I asked them not only about their rental car or truck, which they said was the only rental vehicle they could get being under 25 years old, was renting this U-Haul truck, but they were renting their unit for $3,000 a month. They were staying in the same one I had stayed in. So having this townhome that I could rent long-term for roughly $1,600 a month versus short-term at $3,000 a month, it's a tough call. But there are a lot of people faced with this dilemma now, especially with work from home. If you can work from anywhere and lease your place out for 
almost 100% more on a short-term lease versus a long-term lease, that is quite the dilemma. It's It's a great dilemma to have, but some people are taking short-term rental money from from platforms like Airbnb, going to live in Costa Rica or Mexico and working from there. Or you could take a risk to rent your place for $3,000, $4,000 a month and just go rent a cool apartment in an area of town that's walkable. That's an option too. I realize I'm not going in order here, but we could all use a little spontaneity in life. I'll talk why we talk about why we go to church on Sundays as a family. Many people don't realize, due to a lack of knowledge of history or the waning of attention spans, the fact that folks are reading books less and less nowadays. But as of the mid-16th century, when a Renaissance polymath by the name of Copernicus came along and discovered that we on Earth were basically a drop of water on the crest of a wave in a sea of planets, many people at that time lost their religion. Tip of the cap there to REM, (laughs) losing my religion. The further decline of religion, and especially Christianity, occurred some 300 years later when Darwin deemed us just another animal that's evolved over time into enlightened, self-aware beings. And so you had philosophers saying things like God is dead without considering just how valuable and indispensable religion and God had been to people for hundreds of generations. It really aided those who had no hope, who lived in despair and were poverty stricken, which, by the way, is the default for humanity. All this wealth and prosperity around the world, all the hundreds of millions of people if not a billion or two people that have been lifted out of poverty just in my lifetime, due to our recency bias, we neglect to realize just how new all this prosperity is. The history of the world is poverty. In the year 1900, more than 40% of Eastern and Western Europe lived in extreme poverty. For Latin America and the Caribbean, that number was 74% of people lived in extreme poverty. Sub-Saharan Africa, you can imagine, was much worse. It was 91%. Today, under 2% of Eastern Europe lives in extreme poverty, less than 1% of Western Europe. Latin America and the Caribbean, it's less than 7%. Sub-Saharan Africa has gone from 91% living in extreme poverty in the year 1900 to less than 37% nowadays. But you think about the course of human history, the default is poverty. It's not prosperity. So for hundreds of generations, you had religion, which could largely be credited with the poor not killing the rich. It certainly helped to control the massive amounts of people and keep them in line, so to speak. Sure, religion's been referred to as the opium of the masses and all that, but consider that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai in Egypt. Had he said, these are the Ten Commandments I've come up with, who would have abided by what he himself had written on a couple of tablets? (laughs) Not many. But if they're inscribed with the finger of God, well, that changes things, of course. And so ever since Darwin, with this knowledge that we're a speck of dirt in an infinite Sahara, let's call it, of, of other dirt, 
it begs the question, well, what's going to replace God? And the world has experienced since then people like Mao, Stalin, Lenin before him, Hitler, Pol Pot, men who, without a higher power, without a heaven to look forward to, instead fancied themselves as a god of sorts on earth, trying to implement their idea of utopia here by way of these isms, socialism, communism, and all the rest. What did that result in? Well, the bloodiest century in the history of the world. Millions and millions of people had to die before the lesson was learned that this shit doesn't work. But unfortunately, so many people are, are dead who live through it. Or we have people now who are just ignorant of history, ignorant of human nature, how humans behave. And so we start to see the beginning of the proponents of certain isms creeping back into our lives. It's a terrible thing to see. Anyway, I was raised Catholic. Having God in my life greatly benefited me when I was going through tumultuous times. And I like to think my belief in God also benefited others. There's a great book I talked about on a previous episode written by Scott Adams called God's Debris, A Thought Experiment, where he talks about why people follow a particular religion. And he uses the example of birds landing on the windowsill of a church And these different birds are looking through a stained glass window. And he says, whichever color of the glass they look through to find God, God was represented by the cathedral in this this instance. And each color of the stained glass window would represent a different religion. So if the bird showed up every week to their perch, and it greatly benefited them and helped others in their life during the week, after they go on Sunday, let's say, or they felt fulfilled, well, then why wouldn't that bird then pass along to their children the value of blue or red or white or yellow, representing different religions, Catholicism, Islam, Episcopalian, Baptist, whatever it is. There are many different routes to God, but it makes sense that if you had a fulfilled life with all the camaraderie and the giving and all of the good things that come with it, why wouldn't you pass that down? So it speaks to why people raise their kids, why people tend to be the same religion as their parents. And I thought that was a great, great thought experiment that I had never considered. And you might ask, well, is finding a church important? Do I need God? I can be a good person without God. Well, okay, but there are some things you should know before you go. Did you know that studies show that those who are in the bottom quartile of self-reported happiness— after starting to attend church services weekly, soon find themselves in the top quartile in self-reported happiness? Something else I've noticed, if, if you're someone who listens to Joe Rogan, I've been listening to him for a while. He is, I believe, the number one podcaster in all the world. Something like tens of millions of downloads or streams every month, which is an incredible number. Uh, just right above Man Overseas downloads. <laughs> you have someone in Joe Rogan who shares himself with the world on his show several times a week for now over 10 years. And what you're witnessing, which is really cool to see, is the maturation of a man before your eyes, not just economically and politically, but as it relates to religiosity, what we're talking about now. So he used to snicker and laugh at those who believed in God. 
He doesn't do that anymore. In fact, he's become curious. He asks questions and listens intently. This recent episode with Hulk Hogan is a perfect illustration of this. Hulk realizes as he's talking about the benefits he gets from the church, he realizes that these guys are glazing over. They have that glazed over look on their in their eyes. And so he says to Joe, he says, you want me to stop talking about this stuff? <laughs> and Joe Rogan says, no, 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 keep talking, man. And then Joe Rogan goes into how many of his friends have benefited from having Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, just as an example. It's really cool to see. Anyway, we've been going to a Baptist church, although I was raised Catholic, and we really like their setup. Ed Young is the pastor. A lot of times his son will fill in for him. They're doing some cool things with regard to charitable giving uh, on their website, second.org. You can donate to the Maui victims. And one of the things they do at the end of church is explain to everyone how they're finding ways to give directly to Maui victims instead of incurring all these administrative costs, which when you're giving to charity, that's typically the number one concern, right? I know it is for me. I want those charities who have been thoroughly vetted which is why in the past, charities that I give to or people that I give to directly in Africa, as an example, or Indonesia, we, we have been there and therefore have vetted them and can see how money is spent and know that the owner or director doesn't live in this sprawling mansion on the side of the mountains in Malibu, right? They're living just like the teachers and the administrators. And so... It's it's really important as it pertains to charitable giving that 99%, if not 100%, is giving to those who stand to benefit, who you want to benefit, victims in this case. What I've been reading is a book called Red October, and it's a story written by Bill Browder. His dad was a communist during the McCarthyism era. And he takes a keen interest in Eastern Europe and Russia, and so moves to Moscow. Actually, he went to work for a bank in London, and one day in the office declared himself the representative for Moscow as, a, as an investment banker. And nobody else wanted that role because communism had just fallen and things were a bit chaotic. Well, what he learned quickly thereafter, he moved to Moscow and learned that each Russian resident was given a voucher for a 30% stake in a private business, <laughs> which is unbelievable. I had never heard this before, but that's how oligarchs became what they are. It's why an obscene amount of wealth is concentrated in the hands of something like 49 people in Russia. It really was. His story is incredible. He took a fund from $25 million to a billion, a billion dollars, due to the returns that he was generating. So his hedge fund eventually, within a very short span, became the most successful in the world in terms of annualized return. And he was then banned from Russia. That's kind of where I am in the book. I've already been through. I don't want to spoil it all. But he married a Russian girl, had a troubled marriage with a young daughter who his wife didn't want to move to Russia. And they were on vacation on Lake Como in Italy. And she broke some horrific news to him. 
I would strongly encourage you if you if you don't have a regular reading habit, find a book that is hard to put down. And I've recommended several of them on social media. My favorite book ever is Viktor Frankl's *Man's Search for Meaning*. *City of Thieves* by David Beinhoff is one of these books too that's hard to put down. I'm into *Red October* by Bill Browder right now. That's very hard to put down. Another one I can think of is *When Breath Becomes Air*. That is a very popular book in the medical community. It's about a guy who, I believe he was a neurosurgeon, and gets a death sentence, basically, when it's discovered he has cancer. And that book is one that you'll have trouble keeping dry eyes as you read through it. It's really hard to put down also. So I've got more recommendations if you contact me, either on Instagram, at man underscore overseas. You can also email me, contact.manoverseas at gmail.com. I'm happy to recommend books to you. If you're part of my coaching program, I have been known to send books to my clients frequently. And then what happens there is they have their own little personal book club. (laughs) They can bounce ideas off of me or what they've highlighted in the book or we just have a book club type of discussion. It's pretty cool because I've read a lot of the books. Well, probably all of the books that I send to them. I have a copy that I keep for myself that has a bunch of highlights in it already. Otherwise, I wouldn't send them a copy because that's my best indicator as to whether or not I really enjoyed the book is the number of highlights that it has. Why I've been spending time on Instagram. So, I think you should spend the most time on the social media platform where you have the largest following. And one of the things I like, especially if you have your own business or you're trying to grow your personal brand or you have a blog, a podcast, even insurance, real estate, lending, whatever it is that you do, if you're trying to promote yourself or your business, you want to go to the social media platform where you have the most traction. Well, I found that it's easy to track how many people follow you by how many people look at your stories, quote unquote stories. So I frequently post there and I can see how many people are viewing my story and it's helpful and it's free to put your stuff there. So that's where I've kind of hung out. I found that it's tough to gain traction on Twitter. I don't have very many friends on Twitter, which is why when I think back to when I started manoverseas.com, One of the reasons, aside from being extremely vulnerable and putting all your thoughts and ideas out there, it can be a little bit overwhelming, I started with a pseudonym because I knew, well, I didn't want people to know it was me, but then I realized, you know, I probably should have gone with braddantonio.com because they're going to know who you are anyway, especially if you share it on social media. And I realized you're going to start with no readers at all if you don't use social media, so... I sort of had to share my blog articles on social media initially if I wanted people to read it. And of course, having readers at all breeds more readers. So success breeds success. So I started there. I had someone ask me a question recently. Why didn't you start with braddantonio.com? And another reason is I wanted to force myself to be overseas. And I thought, having the name Man Overseas would prompt me to always be overseas. I wanted that little mechanism to force me to be away and not get entrenched (laughs) too heavily in the community when I came back to Houston, which is actually what's happened to us now. We, We joined the gym, we have a group of friends, and 
old, connecting with old friends, and it's just hard to book that trip for 60, 90 days overseas when you get embedded somewhere. You know, once you're doing things monthly, we send our daughter to daycare and she likes daycare. She has what she calls boys and girls that she plays with all the time. And it'd be tough to extract her from daycare and to cut off our gym membership. We really love our gym. It's got what is the new craze, uh, pickleball. And I invite friends as guests to come and play with me quite a bit. And so my wife also goes to classes a few times a week. And it has a sauna, which I'm a huge fan of the hot-cold contrast. So I'll do the sauna in 180 degrees, and they don't have a cold pool or anything, but I'll go take a freezing cold shower. And that's how I get my hot-cold contrast, which is really big in Europe, and it's so good for your health. So, uh, yeah, I get that at the gym. It's quite an expensive gym, but I think you have to be deliberate in your spending. You can be a little more liberal in certain places if you restrict yourself in other places. And we have always, we have always been more of free spenders as it pertains to our health. When it comes to our health, we'll spend a little more money. But it's more than that. You also meet a higher caliber of person when you join a pricier gym, let's say. And we experienced that firsthand. We, we met, my wife and I, we met at the gym. I've also made a lot of good friends at the gym. You want to be around people like yourself that care about their health, that are getting better in multiple areas, multiple aspects of their lives. And I think it all starts with good health. Where I've been investing my money. So a dollar cost average, as I've shared before, on the 24th of the month, we have money that is auto-swept into Vanguard funds every month. That's not to say I don't buy individual stocks. I don't recommend it, but I do dabble and have had some success doing that the last 15 years or so. So I will continue to dabble, but it's always less than 10% of net worth. And it's fun, and you learn a lot doing that. But if you have a job and you're busy all of the time and don't have time to read financial reports or investigate companies to review their management and those sorts of things, their cash flows, their expected cash flows, I, I would not invest in individual stocks. You will more than likely lose your money. The beautiful thing about index funds, when you auto-invest into index funds, they're self-cleansing. So when a stock drops out of the index due to poor performance, they will kick another one back into the fund. So when a fund self-cleanses like that, you benefit over time. And as I've recommended before, if you're looking for a total stock market index fund, that would be Vanguard VTSAX. The expense ratio is still 0.04%. You can set it up to invest automatically. It's basically investing for free. It's almost free. It's $20 per $50,000 of investment. That's basically free. I strongly encourage you to take advantage I think I've covered everything I wanted to cover today. What I've been investing, where I've been investing my money, what I've been reading, why we go to church, why I've spent time on Instagram lately. And that's it, folks. I, I really appreciate you listening. I look forward to hearing from you with any feedback, comments, questions, and we will return in September. I'll have a guest for you. Thank you, folks. Really appreciate it. 